Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan and I will be your host. Today we're at WeSpace in Zurich and are going to have a chat with Estefania Tapias. She's a female entrepreneur and originally grew up in Colombia and then moved to Switzerland for her PhD studies and founded a startup company later on here in Zurich. We will cover the topic why she chose Switzerland as her home base. We also talk about her entrepreneurial family and how that sort of shaped her in order to also become an entrepreneur. And then of course we talk a lot about WeSpace, the women-centric platform and workspace that Estefania launched together with her co-founder Laura and everything about the first idea, the first testing and how they actually launched a successful business in the heart of Zurich at the Bahnhofstrasse, the most prominent location in Zurich. There's a lot to learn from that story. A very driven and passionate entrepreneur, as you can hear from the first sentence of Estefania. So I'm sure you're gonna enjoy the show and today's conversation. On top of that, there's always additional content on social media. So make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SPB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at spbstartup.com. Estefania, welcome to the Swiss Printer Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I would like to jump in with the first question right away. Um, you are a very well-known researcher in the area of future cities and also climate change. And you could have probably earned a very good salary doing research or also working for a big company. Why did you choose to start your own company anyway? Well, um, I would say that uh, I went into research not because of the money, as you can obviously know. <laughs> So for me, research was more to build up my, my expertise and also because I was very, very enthusiastic and very interested in the whole idea of climate change and environmental planning for cities and so on. So it was more out of curiosity that I wanted to do research. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really because of, of that mainly. It was not because of the money. It was not because of building up a career. It was just really for for curiosity and for building up like a background, like a base. And uh, and then entrepreneurship, I mean, for me, I always had it in the back of my mind since the beginning of my, since I have a choice in my life. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was always very interested. Also during my time as a, as a researcher, I volunteer in different communities Europe-wide uh, of entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs. I did different summer schools for entrepreneurship entrepreneurship training and so on so I was always like also on parallelly building up that part mm -hmm. um, so it was always in the back of my mind and then when I reached the point in research where I felt I I I, I reached uh, the level I wanted to reach and I achieved the things that I wanted to achieve then for me it was a very natural shift to go from research to entrepreneurship and I think it was just the right moment how did that moment feel? Because I know that you had that in research, but other people might have that with their own jobs or careers. Is there a certain feeling that you that you felt back then about 
now it's time to move on. Yeah, I actually had that feeling already like two years before I did it. I jumped. Uh, I started my first experience as an entrepreneur was not here with WeSpace. Was actually I was building up with two other friends uh, a startup on CleanTech, uh, which was actually very complicated solution. <laughs> it was uh, technically worked very well, but uh, but when we wanted to build up a business out of that, where we realized that there was not a clear a like customer group uh, and it was quite difficult to sell so at that point we realized it was not really a business model mm -hmm. um, uh, but that was my first jump into it and then afterwards it was kind of a failure for me but in a in a good way I mean I learned a lot especially selling something that it's not so obvious so that was a big learning experience uh, and then after that, I, I went back to like my normal life in research. Uh, but I was always having in the back of my mind, okay, what's next? What's next? <laughs> I was always looking for something. So and then WeSpace just came. And the funny thing is that the first thing I, when when I heard about or when I had the feeling of doing something with WeSpace or with this uh, co-working and 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 woman uh, initiative. The first thing that came into my mind was like, oh, this is great because it's very easy to understand what it is. Because it was like the hardest experience I had before, like really trying to communicate to people what actually you're selling and people not understanding it and you for half an hour explaining it. So for me, like jumping to something that was super straightforward and that people, you just say it in two sentences and they are like, oh, that's that. For me, that was like the first uh, sign that I was like, okay. Was that also a criteria that you were especially looking for when you started a new, a new venture, were actually looking for a new venture? That was one for sure, but I think it's linked to the fact that I wanted to do something that was needed. It was mm -hmm. not, I didn't want to do again like super something that was very technically advanced and that it had like a lot of uh, potential from like technical perspective, but I actually wanted to do something that people need because I think it's easier it's easier to develop a technology than to develop a customer segment. So if people really don't need something, then you're just wasting your time. So that was one of my criteria that I really wanted something that was needed and that people understand what it was and right. that it was obvious that, that people want it and, and they can actually understand it. Mm -hmm. How did you assess the need of the clients with the clean tech startup that you did? Or were you very technology driven and didn't really assess that before you actually try to actually also sell it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that it was something that you don't sell to individuals. It was actually, just to tell you, it was um, a all, all included weather station, uh, which means that uh, all the technology was in one. So it was like a toolkit of a weather station that also had, uh, it was also uh, included the, the, the computer, the all, all the technical things to uh, connect it to a server, to a Wi-Fi. So it was it was basically a weather station that was connected to the Internet of Things and that you don't have to have, because traditional weather stations, you have like the big equipment that you need the, the monitor, then you need the computer, then you need to connect it to Wi-Fi, then you need the server, right? You have like different big things. And this one was quite small and you had it all in. So, I mean, it's, it's very cool. I mean, you would think like, oh, that's super cool, super interesting, like super advanced. Mm -hmm. But then if you go and ask people, would you like to buy one? And they are like, well, for what? I mean, do I need to buy this kind of weather station? No. 
And then we realized that at the end of the day, the people that actually would need it were cities, but for them that this was not a priority, so they don't put money into something that is not a priority because actually cities usually they don't have big budgets. Sure. So then we then we realized okay, we're developing something that actually so it was like it was a whole process like going to talk to people, going to talk to cities, going to talk to uh, companies and so on. So it was a big process to find out if it was actually a, fe a feasible business and then it turned out to not. Which is also a fair point to take away as a learning, right? Yeah, exactly. Was there anything else? Now, you mentioned uh, you learned that it has to be simple and easily understood by the people and it should also sort of meet a demand for it. Is there anything else that you took away as a big learning from, from this experience? Um, no, not really. I mean, all the things are very specific to the to the topic of like the technical thing. Uh, but in general, that you can apply to any business venture. I think it was mainly that. Cool. Yeah. And looking, oh, no, wait, I have yeah. one. <laughs> cool. Actually, the team is super important. Yeah. Whatever you do, whatever venture you start building, the team is the core, and it has to be very good. The relationship has to be quite stable and you also have to trust each other. And I think I, I, I think I had a good experience with that, but I also we also had a group dynamic that uh, people didn't trust each other too much. So all the processes and all, I mean, it ended up to be like a very political thing inside the team. So... It, then you don't move fast and at the beginning you really need to be able to move fast and make things flow otherwise it will take forever. These political situations that's usually what you have at the big corporates not at a startup right? Yeah but you do find them very often in startups yeah, especially between co-founders. Then that can really slow you down as you experienced. Yeah yeah that's why the team is it's very important. Yeah absolutely couldn't agree more. <laughs> Um, you also grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Your uh, parents were both entrepreneurs. Uh, in, in what way has that shaped you or also awakened the desire to have your own thing uh, one day? Well, I actually see it in two ways, in a positive way and in a negative way, uh, because from a positive way was, I mean, that's the only thing I saw when I was growing up, my parents working very long hours arriving very late at home working also during the weekends and really working super super hard uh, so for me this was good because we grew up quite independent and we grew up with role models that were really like fighting for what they wanted um, also in a good way i was always taught by my dad that uh, i mean he would brainwash us since we were little girls saying that we shouldn't work for anyone, that we should always work for ourselves. What, what, why did he say that? What was his motivation? I really don't know. I never asked him, actually. <laughs> probably a pure passion to share the, yes. the experience that he probably liked. Yeah, probably. And he used to work in banking before. And okay. I think he kind of realized that the, I mean, the same energy and effort you can put in a big company, if you put it in something that you're building for yourself, it kind of gives you a bit more... Uh, like satisfaction because you're doing it for yourself uh, so but I mean apart from that I wouldn't know why he always said that uh, also he, uh, well he kept saying that he likes freedom that he likes to like direct his time and his life but mm -hmm. on the other hand I think he was not very um, it was not very true because he did work a lot 
uh, for huge customers. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so at the end of the day, I don't know what's freedom. I mean, I think both are. I mean, you have to. You don't have like 100% freedom. Sure. Uh, but yeah, and then this is like the positive side. Like I, I really had like these two role models that were like fighting for what they wanted and so on. But in the negative part, I we never in my family we never had like hundred percent stability. So I mean, there were months that was super tough, months that not, uh, months that were really good, years that were really good, years that were really bad. Speaking financially, yeah, or? financially okay. and also emotionally, because of course my parents, I mean, yeah. working together, I mean, they were like co-founders, and then everything was very emotional. So in that sense, I, I remember sometimes thinking like, oh, I would love that my parents had like normal jobs and that <laughs> we had normal weekends and then we had normal lives. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you always wish for what you don't have at the end. So I also think this constellation of having a, sort of a married couple as, as co-founders is very interesting because usually my, my personal like opinion on this was always a bit more conservative and, and more like, Okay, it can work out, but this is usually the huge exception, was my perspective. But it happens that I meet more and more people that are somehow in touch or even have that situation on their own, and there it seems to work pretty well. What, what is your take on this? Is like, you know, starting a company with your partner a, a good idea or...? I think it depends on the couple and depends on the, on the personal, uh, personality, like in the personality. Um, I think me, myself, with my personality, I think it wouldn't work. <laughs> Why not? Because I need my space and then already, I mean, already seeing someone 24 hours, it's already too much. Uh, I think for my parents it did work because I think they had very complementary personalities. And I see also other examples that actually work quite well. Mm -hmm. But I would say that it's really base to base, I mean, case to case, sorry. So it, uh, it, it's not a generic... Uh, so it's probably also not tied to being a, a couple or married, so it just comes down to the regular co-founder exactly. choice, basically. I mean, they say that usually with your co-founders, you're also kind of having a, a marriage, right? That's and then right. And I see it with my co-founder, Lara. I mean, if... I mean, we are, like, married. I mean, it's a contract that we have between each other, and we have to have, like... We have to respect each other, we have to trust each other, we have to be very... Um, honest and all of these characteristics that you also have to have in a in a marriage, right? Absolutely. So I think it's it could be the same the same situation, yeah. and yeah. Which is actually a pretty cool story. How you met Laura? You met her on a blind date. Yeah. Can you walk us through how this happened and also tell us what makes your strong team together? So we met because uh, I started with WeSpace um, and I didn't want to do it alone because I'm more like, uh, I, I like to be in a team. Uh, I don't want to be alone uh, in this kind of uh, situations. And then, and then I also know that uh, the financial part, it's not my strength. <laughs> so actually for some time, my, my husband was helping me because he, he's quite good on that. But at some point he said, okay, you need to find your co-founder. It has to be good in what you are not. So find someone in finance. <laughs> and then he told me, yeah, let give me two months and I will find someone. And then after like a couple of weeks, uh, he told me, yeah, I found the perfect person for you. Uh, but I was a bit like worried because I didn't want someone that came from banking or something like that. Because you always have like this misconception of uh, stereotypes, of sure. course. 
but then it was very interesting because he knows me very well, so he knew I was going to get along with her. And then, yeah, and then we got connected and then we, we found a date and then we went to actually to a bar to meet. Uh, yeah, and then we met and then we got along very well. I explained to her what the idea was. She actually was very happy and very passionate about it. And then during that time, we were going to start the pilot, which I, I will explain later. And then during this pilot, we, we kind of said, okay, this is also going to be a pilot for the both of us. And then we're going to test how it goes. And then if by the end of the pilot, we are working very well, then we do it. And then it was actually perfect because uh, we fit very well, like also from a language perspective. I mean, she's a German speaker, she's German. So for me, it's ideal. <laughs> uh, we also have very complementary skill sets. So... I mean, we, it's almost automatic and how we divide our work. I mean, we don't even have to say it. It just like does, it happens automatically, which is perfect. And yeah, and then we're both very passionate. I mean, we both really have like this drive to really make something big. Uh, and that also helps when you have like the same mindset and the same drive. That also helps a lot. So yeah, it ended up being very well. I think you covered a lot of very important topics uh, of finding your co-founder and also your, your founding team, basically. Can you take us back to the day when, when you met at the bar? What were you looking for? What did you tell Laura? And what was important to you to actually identify whether she's a good fit for you or not? So I, I was... I mean, I have to be honest, I was looking for a skill set that I didn't have and that I really needed at that point. But for me, at the end, that was not the most important thing because, I mean, her profile already kind of let me know that she's good enough for that. For me, it was more a, like an attitude, what I wanted at that point. It was not for her to tell me, ah, I did this and I did this project and I could do this modeling in Excel, blah, blah. For me, that was not important. For me, it was more like the attitude towards a, a new project, a new idea, a startup, a venture, uh, an adventure, and all of these things, like really like the energy she puts on it. Because I actually, I mean, for me, for myself, and also for my friends and everything, I really look for people that have a lot of energy and passion with the things they do. So for me, that's very important. And then the more, I mean, and she has a lot of energy. So yeah, for me, it was great to meet her and see how passionate she was and how, how interested also. And, and I also like people that ask questions and that are like challenging you also. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, and she kind of fit all of these requirements that I have. So for me, it was more important the attitude towards like the, the idea and towards the situation rather than the skill sets. I Absolutely. Mean, there's a saying that we've covered in quite a few independent Swisspinner interviews that says a good co-founding team means shared values and complementary skill set. Mm -hmm. Would you agree to this statement? Yeah, I do. And but I will also add to that uh, respecting each other. Respect okay. has to be like something you always have to have because it has to be someone you will trust 100% because mm -hmm. I mean you're, you're trusting them with your baby kind of. Sure. And 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 then if you're trusting someone at the same time, you also expect respect from them and you towards the other person. So I think respect is it's ideal also. How would you actually describe your values that you two as co-founders share? Uh, so we are very transparent with each other. Uh, we have a, a vision, we have a drive and we are just building towards that. 
um, in terms of, I mean, we want to build up a company that it's also not making money, but that also has a purpose, that it's meaningful, that has like the social impact. So for us, for both of us, that's very important. Right. Uh, being very transparent with our customers, with our members, that's also something very important for us. And, and moving, always moving, 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 not uh, like if something doesn't happen, doesn't work, just like, okay, what's the next solution and what's the next solution? So being very positive and very energetic and always trying to find solutions instead of just, I mean, because it's a roller coaster at the end of the day. So you always have to know that if you're down, you have to go up somehow and sure. then you need solutions for that. So. And I think we're both in the same line, so that helps a lot. There was a very well-received NZZ uh, newspaper article that sort of described your spirit as a kick-ass spirit, if I can <laughs> summarize it that way. And now I know where that comes from. Yeah, and actually we didn't ask him to write that. Actually, that was a complete surprise when we read it. I mean, I, I fully understand that one gets the impression. Yeah, yeah, cool. You also mentioned the testing that you did. So to sort of test the idea of WeSpace, you run a test or a pilot at the 25 Hours Hotel here in Zurich. Can you describe what you wanted to test and find out there? Yes. So, I mean, for us, the test was very, or the pilot was very important because, I mean, we have, I mean, I applied this theory that at the beginning, when you want to start something, you should, it's better to fail fast but that only applies at the beginning. The moment that you jump to properly do it, then you have to be super persis persistent. Where's so, that moment? So that's very tricky to know because, uh, so for me, for us, like the pilot part was like the failing fast. So mm -hmm. it was, okay, we're going to test it because we don't know, I mean, we can have a lot of assumptions, but we don't know if they're actually true. Sure. And with this kind of concepts, you cannot just test them by, just doing a survey and it's not enough. You really have to put it into place and see how many people are coming and, and how many people are actually engaging with you. And then we, that's why we build up that pilot. We say, okay, we do it three months. We do it in a hotel and sponsors, so we don't have to pay anything. We do uh, also a couple of events to see how, how people are interacting with each other. And then uh, uh, based on that, we see if we stop or if we continue. So this is really like the failing fast part. Mm -hmm. And then after the pilot for us, because it worked and it had a lot of traction, we said, okay, let's jump in. And then, but the moment that you say, okay, let's jump, then it's all about persistence. So then you're building up something properly. You have like your team, you have uh, your vision, and then you start building up things uh, slowly, but secure. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be super persistent because I mean, there's also this misunderstanding of failing fast in startups, but for me, it doesn't apply in the whole life of a startup. It only applies right at the beginning when you're prototyping, but the moment you realize it's working and the moment you jump, then you have to be super persistent. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Would you say that this also goes along with the quality that you deliver? So first, in the, in the pilot, it's okay to not have the perfect quality because you want to test and learn fast. But then later on, uh, you actually need to deliver the, the best quality possible in order to have happy clients. Exactly. And also in the second part, you will also sometimes make mistakes, of course. Uh, but you, you have to be able to iterate very fast. And I think that's also a key, uh, a key characteristic of startups that you know that if you know you're fail in something that the like the. Um, the important thing is to really iterate very fast and try to change it as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. it, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter that you fail because that's how you learn. It's more about how you iterate and how you change. Sure. So, yeah. 
I think that's a very important differentiation that you just made between the two different phases. Can you give us an example how you probably changed rapidly during the testing pilot and how you actually failed fast with the different ideas and assumptions that you had in that moment of time? So one thing that we couldn't test during the pilot were, were the pricings because actually the pricing for us depends on the space. And then of course our pilot space was completely different than our proper permanent space. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning, we didn't know where to put the prizes. We did a lot of surveys, we asked people and everything, but also people, because it was a very new idea, people really didn't know. And then people were actually saying, oh yeah, I could pay this much. And then others were saying like, no, that's too expensive. So then that's where we started like testing. So first we set up a prize and then we run it for one month or a couple of months. And then when we realized that was not actually the, the price that fits, we had to change it immediately after. And then right. the moment that we changed it, we actually had to do the same effort that we did at the beginning to get enough traction. So that was tough, but actually we managed to just change it very fast without getting any, any bad consequence out of that. Cool. Uh, and that I think it's something that probably a lot of businesses struggle, like setting up prices especially because you have to test how it's all, it's all about behavioral, uh, consumer behavior. So, I mean, it's very difficult to, to, to know that from the beginning. So would you say that actually the best way to go about that is actually just test and, and learn yeah, with just real clients? It. Yeah, you have to do it. And at least even if it's like for one month or two months, and then even if you are like uh, sending the wrong information at the beginning, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because I mean, people especially if you lower the price if you higher the price yes. is a bit more complicated but if you lower it and then how we did it actually is that at the beginning we did very high prices because of this because we thought okay if we have to change the price it's better to lower the price than higher the price i just wanted to ask you about your strategy and yeah, you just answered. That, was, yeah. <laughs> that was the strategy so we we said okay let's do it quite high not 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 like unbelievable high but mm -hmm high enough that we can test it and then if it, do, if it works, well, wonderful. <laughs> but if it doesn't, that we can lower the price and it will be okay and no one will be pissed or anything because we'll be always fine. What you also mentioned is that you got the testing pilot for free at the 25 hours hotel. Yes. How do you make that happen? Because that's also like, you know, people say nothing gets offered to you for free in Switzerland. No, but I think there are some people that are very open to new ideas and that really want to support you. So that's actually, I mean, I don't know if it was out of luck or, or if it's actually that you, there's more people that you actually think of. Mm -hmm. But it was wonderful because we, we knew about this hotel at the 25-hour uh, hotel. I can mention that, it's <laughs> fine. Uh, and I really like the concept because they were they are super modern. They are like uh, they had this new building in, in the Europa Lane, Langstrasse, and then and then I thought, oh, that would be wonderful if we could do it there. And then I then I realized that the uh, general manager at that time she was a woman. So then I thought, okay, opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then no, it was wonderful because I, I I emailed her and she replied. I remember on a Sunday and she replied two hours after, very excited about the idea. And she was like, yeah, please, let's meet and, and let's see what we can do here. And, and, and yeah, I'm really open. So then we did it. And then the, the staff there were, I mean, I'm not promoting anything, but I have to say they were very helpful and they were very, very happy to have us there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a very, I wouldn't say easy, but very lucky 
lucky situation. What was that link that you made there? So probably they were opening and they were also looking for some traction, meaning that there is some stuff going on and you might be able to spread the word about them a bit. Was this part of the discussion that you had? Yeah, I think so, because especially the, they probably needed more traffic during the day. Okay. And I think we brought uh, more traffic and mm -hmm. also because the bar was next to the space they gave us. So, of course, I mean, we had to consume and that sure. was, but I mean, for we were anyway very happy to do it and bring people on that people were consuming there because, I mean, it, it was a very good opportunity. So it was really a, a both way, both parties um, mm -hmm. had, yeah, appreciated the collaboration. So. That was important also for us. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And then if you also reach the right timing, then great things is your pilot can uh, emerge out of that. Yes. Then, so now let's just summarize it. You have a great co-founder, you had a successful pilot, and now the next big challenge for you was basically finding a suitable location to really open your own long-term co-working space. Yeah. And there was an interesting story about you went about making that happen. Can you tell us how that actually worked out? Yes. And before that, I have to clarify that uh, we, with my co-founder, we were the only, uh, the only two investors, so to say. Right. So we didn't have any investors backing us up. And that was actually on purpose because we wanted to do it ourselves from the beginning and see. And we had a strong feeling that we could make it work without having too much money. Uh, so that being said, <laughs> we had to look for very smart ways to make it that happen. And, and then, yeah, during the summer, we were looking into different spaces. We were also looking into collaborations because we already saw that with the 25 hour hotel that that's possible. And uh, yeah, and then on the other hand, we really wanted the best location in Zurich. And that was one of our Ambitious key goals. characteristic because that will give us a very strong argument to start. Um, and then, yeah, and then so because of that, we were looking all only around Bankhofstrasse. And then, yeah, and then we look into a couple of places. And then the second one that we had a look, uh, it was on the market, it was the most expensive one. Uh, and then we were very tempted not to go, but then we said, okay, let's just out of curiosity, let's go and have a look. <laughs> and then I remember, I think it was in the elevator or in the main door, we both said, okay, let's promise each other we won't fall in love <laughs> with this face. Okay, we won't fall in love, got it. And then we arrived, we opened the door and it was like, oh, no, <laughs> because it was beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's the space we are right now, so it's beautiful. And then... Uh, and then everything, like, it didn't look like a normal office because the floors were wooden, then the sun came from everywhere, it was the last floor and so on. It, ha it has a terrace, so we were in love. And then at the end, we were, like, wondering, okay, what can we do? And then of the obvious next step was, okay, let's find who the owner is. And, and then we found out who the owner How was. How did you go about that? Because that's not that easy, right? No, the broker was very honest. Okay. Yeah, so you just broker. asked the broker and then yeah. you got the information. Yes, that was very... Cool. I think if it was a private person, probably not. Mm -hmm. But because it's a company, so they were quite fine with that. Okay. And then, yeah, and then they, they told us the company and then... And then, uh, yeah, and then that evening I told Lara, okay, I'm going to find the 
email of the CEO and I'm going to write to him. <laughs> and she was like, okay, good luck with that. In the meantime, I will have, <laughs> I will be doing this other thing. Like, she, like really, I mean, on, also me, I, I was just like, okay, let's do it. We don't lose anything. And then it was funny because, I mean, the email of this person, because it's a very high level person, you don't find it in the internet. So mm -hmm. then I just put together some patterns of the email of that company and then I BCC everything. <laughs> and then we, we came up with this really straightforward email. I mean, when you write to very busy people, you have to know that you have to be very to the point and telling them what you need from the first sentence. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they stop reading. So what, what did you actually write? Yeah, the first sentence was, like, <laughs> was pretty much like, uh, we, want, we are this and we want this. And then afterwards was more the explanation of everything. But I mean, at the beginning, you really have, I mean, these people have a very short concentration spam and reading yeah. spam. So you have to get them from the first sentence. Uh, so yeah, and then it was wonderful because um, two days, three days after then, I mean, he didn't reply directly, but someone from the company replied who was in charge of all the real estate. And then he was, yeah, let's meet. This is wonderful. This is beautiful, blah, blah. We can give you this and this and that. So of course, things change when you start negotiating, <laughs> but we reached to a point that it was quite good still and and funny enough we were also in parallel talking to other spaces and at some point we told the other one like okay this is what they are going to give us can you match that and then the other ones were like are you crazy just take that one we are <laughs> never going to do that so so that that i mean it was also it was also funny because i think we reached to the point of the negotiations that we we asked for a lot but not because we were very aggressive in the negotiation, but because we were quite, um, how would I say it, <laughs> that it doesn't sound, we didn't know much about negotiating. So we were a bit like, also like, not so knowledgeable. So that's why we arrived to a very good negotiation, but not because we were very good, just because yeah, But we it worked know. out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and then it worked super well. Uh, I mean, we still pay rent and, and like that, but um, I mean, they gave us in the first place. They gave us they gave a startup the one of their prime locations. So that was that is already a big thing, and we also had a very tailor made uh, lease contract that mm -hmm. uh, had a lot of flexibility, and that we really appreciate. So we are always very thankful. I don't know if you're open to talk about this, but what, what would of course also be interesting for other people maybe having similar projects is how you actually structure such a negotiation. So you, you, said you still pay a lease, of course, um, but is that sort of tied to a revenue share that you do or to certain milestones yeah. or is it just in general you negotiate a lower lease and that's it basically? Uh, well, the first thing is that you have to have clear what you can give to them. It's not only about giving me, give me, give me, give me. So when the moment that you pitch to them, you have to clearly show that it's also an opportunity for them. What was and, that in your case? And the opportunity was, well, first of all, they wanted to start exploring co-working spaces, like in general. Uh, and then second, they, for them, it was good to support a woman-driven initiative and having like... Yeah, I mean, and market a little bit that they were supporting something sure. like that, which, I mean, it's it was also good for us. 
Um, so then on that part, we had to show them what is good for them. Uh, on our side, we also had to build up a very good business plan because we also had to send it to them. And But we also, I mean, the partnership, it, do, it doesn't mean that we have to... Um, we, we don't have to show them anything in the future. I mean, it's completely... I mean, we're not linked to them in like an investor or something like that. No, I yeah. mean, so the lease was signed and that's it. So that was we are probably like a, also very important to you, right? Yes, exactly. Because we, I mean, they're not investors, so we don't need to report to them and yeah. we didn't want to report to them. I mean, reporting in the sense that, yeah, we're paying our rent monthly very well. And that's the relationship we wanted to arrive to. And of course, I mean, we have their logo on our website and then they promoted us also a couple of times. So this is also kind of a very French, very friendly partnership. But but that was it. So we didn't want to be linked to them as a reporting kind of thing. So that's also very important. And uh, yeah, and then I mean, it had to uh, uh, sound realistic also. I mean, when you're pitching to them, it's like, okay, this is good for you. Uh, this is our business plan. We are a very feasible business uh, and we will deliver to you. And this is how we are de delivering. And I mean, it, it has to sound realistic. It, sounds, it has to sound professional and yeah. And then you made a good deal. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think for them it was also a good deal. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really the important takeaway point here, right? That you can not only go to these big companies, which there are many in Switzerland that might be open for such a collaboration and just ask for stuff and more stuff, but you actually have to also solve a problem or deliver value to them that it's exactly. actually working as a partnership. And I think that's a problem that people just do. I mean, also with us, I mean, to be honest, we also get a lot of people asking us some for things mm -hmm. and then it, it gets... I mean, it's good until one point, but it gets annoying in the sense that you cannot just ask for things without giving anything. Sure. I mean, this is especially to a startup. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to the big companies, I think they, they think the same. I mean, they, they, they also they're also running business. They also need to have something in exchange of, I mean, it doesn't have to be the same amount or... I mean, you can give them something kind and they, they can give you money, but it has to have a clear partnership. Absolutely. Yeah. I think with the two very successful cold emails that you pitched and the general kick-ass period, you basically proven that when you want to go after something, you just go out and get it. Yeah. That's probably the, the lesson or the spirit that you follow. So now we're really curious to also hear about what you will go after in the future. What are your future plans with WeSpace? So... Um, I mean, for us, we we're very happy with everything in Zurich. Uh, it's going super well, and we're we're very very happy. But we actually don't want to stay local. We want to expand. We want to go to other cities outside Switzerland mainly, mm -hmm. and uh, we have a very ambitious plan <laughs> that we hope we can actually reach at least eighty percent of it. <laughs> Cool. But yes, so that will be the future of WeSpace, we'll be expanding. Uh, we also have a digital platform that it's expanding at the same time as the as the physical platform, that's mm -hmm. sort to say. And yeah, let's see. And usually let's to, talk in a year and see how that works. We will do that. And usually to actually you know get to this point of expand and, and get, grow a company, sooner or later you actually might need some money. I know you're fully bootstrapped right now. But is this an option that you're also evaluating at the at the moment? Yes, of course. Uh, we want to fundraise at some point, uh, maybe in the near future, maybe at the end of the year. 
Uh, it all depends on how much we get at this point uh, in the next two spaces that we will aim to open. Uh, and then after we open them, we will see if it makes sense or not. Uh, because until this point, it's all, always been a cash flow problem. It, does, it, ha it hasn't been like a big uh, injection that we have to make. It's just, sure. just cash flow. And then if we manage to have very similar uh, partnerships that we have here, uh, it's very doable. Uh, so let's see. I mean, we're, we, we are aiming to do it, especially if we want to, to scale fast. That makes sense. Yeah. So we are looking forward to your future in a very excited way. In order to conclude this episode, I have uh, two last questions for you. Um, the first one is, are there any favorite tools or gadgets that you use on a regular basis? You mean like technically or? Technically, but could also be like a, a special yoga mat that you use or your cell phone, whatever you use on a regular basis that's making your life easier. I mean, uh, from a technical perspective, we use I mean, the normal, the Google Drive, Trello, these kind of things. I mean, I think that if it weren't for all of these things, business would be slower, <laughs> for sure. On a more creative point of view. Um, Strong cold emails. <laughs> uh, gadget. Let's see. Well, mm, well, not, not really. That's also a fair Can, point. I cannot think about something... Like a gadget, no. Sure. Maybe there are any resources like books, blogs, or podcasts that you can recommend to other people. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like to get married to one thing or one like uh, news uh, layer or mm -hmm. like stream. Uh, so I like a lot Twitter just because it's like a collection of different newspapers and articles, people, points of view. I mean, you even can follow people that you don't like and then you get like the different point of view and so on. So for me, I mean, it's very, probably very obvious, but for me, it's like the place where I find all the information in a very fast way. Also because I don't, I mean, this is, can sound a bit... <laughs> Uh, weird, but I don't have so much time to like browse into the different newsletters, newspapers and all of that. And I think uh, based on the people that you follow, you get what you want. And I think that's a very good tool for me. Estefania, thank you so much for taking the time and we wish you the best of luck for the future expansion with WeSpace. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. We're already going to be back with a new episode, also with Estefania, already next week. There we'll talk all about female entrepreneurship. Basically, what mistakes Swiss startups make in terms of female entrepreneurship, but then also the role models that sort of shaped Estefania, and also what we can do to increase the number of female leaders in top executive positions in Switzerland because at Swiss companies there are still only around 20% female leaders. So we're going to talk about all of that, why this is important, if women quota makes sense or not, and also big recommendations from Estefania for aspiring young female entrepreneurs. So I hope to see you again next week for an all-new Swisspreneur episode.